The Word of God for our consideration comes to us from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. The Lord told Moses to speak to Aaron and to his sons and to tell them to bless the Israelites with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. In this way they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, children of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there are certain occasions in our lives where when we speak, when we say something, we must more than usual make it clear that we mean what we say. For example, when we stood before an altar like this one and were confirmed, we swore we took a vow to reject the devil and all his deceitful ways and words, and we promised to be faithful even to the point of death. If you're married, you stood before an altar very much like this one, before God and man, and you swore that you would be faithful to your spouse until death do you part. If you've ever had to testify in a courtroom, you were asked to testify, to swear, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There are times when we want to make it clear to people that we mean what we say. But there's a problem, isn't there? The problem is not that we are asked to mean what we say, but that we often don't mean what we say, or we don't carry out those vows that we've taken. For example, raise your hand if you've never wavered in your faith, if you've endured all things for the sake of Christ, if you've always rejected the devil and his sinful ways, or if you've actually given in and embraced the devil and his wicked ways. Raise your hand if you've never been unfaithful to your spouse in thought, word, or deed. Raise your hand if you think anyone no matter who it is called to testify in a courtroom, can ever really know the whole truth. Usually we can only see about that much of the truth. Whenever we say something, we are lacking. Because we're fickle, sinful human beings, we can't always carry out what it is that we say. We lack commitment, we lack desire, we lack determination, we lack knowledge. But God is not a fickle, sinful human being, and when he speaks, he means it. And today we will see that when he gives you his blessing, you are truly blessed and you are left lacking nothing. I know these words before us from Numbers chapter 6 are very familiar. Throughout the course of the church year, we'll use them dozens of times, meaning that most of us have heard them at least hundreds of times, and some of you may have heard them thousands of times throughout your Christian life. That's a good thing, but it can also be dangerous, can't it, that we grow so familiar with these words that we begin to take them for granted, that we just kind of hear them as, oh, the church service is going to be ending now, or maybe we just let them go in one ear and, the, and in and out the other. Maybe we think of them as just words. So as we consider the mystery of the Trinity this morning, 
Maybe this should be the law for us, to repent of thinking that these words, that this blessing are just words. To repent of letting them go in one ear and out the other. To repent of ever considering them as just the signal that church is about to come to an end. To repent of hearing these words and then going out into our lives and and allowing the worries and concerns of this world to, to suffocate our faith in this wonderful blessing that our Lord gives us. Repent of ever thinking that this blessing is anything less than the powerful and effective promise of your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, to take care of you, to bless you. So that when you walk out those doors, you never take for granted the awesome blessing that God gives you as you leave his house and go back out to your life. These are not just words. These words were given by God to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons around 1500 B.C., as the Israelites were getting ready to leave Mount Sinai and make their way into the Promised Land. It was going to be uh, an unknown way. And they would face many enemies and many challenges along the way. And so before they leave, the Lord says, I am going to bless you. I'm going to put my name on you. For over 3,500 years now, God's servants have raised their hands and put this same blessing on God's people to assure them that even though the way out there is is mysterious, is unknown, there are many challenges and enemies you will face as you walk out those doors, the Lord is putting His name on you and promising that He will bless you. I've spoken these words countless times, but I was reminded of something interesting as I was studying them this past week, that, that if you look carefully... This three-part blessing actually alludes to and describes the unique work of each person of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, it, it points out the unique ways that they individually work for our good, for our eternal salvation. So we look at the first part, the Lord bless you and keep you. In Hebrew, the word for bless actually means to bestow, to, to give something. It's not like when we, someone sneezes and we say, bless you. We're not giving that person anything. We're just kind of speaking that we commiserate with the fact that it's uncomfortable to sneeze. But when God says that he is blessing us, those words have power. When God speaks, things happen. Maybe one of the clearest examples is in Genesis 1.28 when God said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed Adam and Eve right there in the Garden of Eden. And what happened? Their descendants fill the earth. Almost eight billion of them today. God gave them dominion, rule over all of creation. And what happened? We have more food than we can eat, even though it might be getting more expensive day after day. When God speaks, things happen. When he blesses you, you are blessed. Maybe this becomes even clearer when you consider the opposite of God's blessing. What's the opposite of God's blessing? His curse. Also in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, God cursed the soil. And what happened? 
we still have thorns and thistles in our gardens to this day. In Genesis chapter 19, God cursed Sodom and Gomorrah for their rebellious, immoral lifestyles. And what happened? All that's left of those two cities is scorched earth to this day. The point is this, when God speaks, things happen. When God promises to bless you, he does it. The car you rode here on, the home you get to go back to, your body, your health, your family, your job, all of those things are the direct result of God the Father saying, I will bless you. Because when he speaks, things happen. But he doesn't leave it there. He also says, I will keep you. This is his promise of protection. This is his promise that everything you are, your past, your present, your future, are are safely contained in the hands of God. They are his promise to you that, that whatever happens in your life, the good things and the bad things, from our perspective, sickness and health, life and death, God is using all of them for our eternal good. God the Father promises to bless us, to provide for us, and to protect us. We, we summarize that underneath the, the heading, calling it God's providence. So let us thank God the Father for his gracious providence by reciting Luther's explanation to the first article. You'll find that on page four in your worship folder. I believe that God created me and all that exists and that he gave me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my mind and all my abilities. And I believe that God still preserves me by richly and daily providing clothing and shoes, food and drink, property and home, spouse and children, land, cattle, and all I own, and all I need to keep my body and life. God also preserves me by defending me against all danger, guarding and protecting me from all evil. All this God does only because he is my good and merciful Father in heaven, and not because I have earned or deserved it. For all this I ought to thank and praise to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. I'm willing to bet that in the many communications you receive on a weekly basis, whether it be snail mail or email or text message or phone calls, that at least a few of those communications consist of asking you to donate your time or your money or your effort or your prayers for someone who is in need. And when you comply, when you see that someone is in need and you can help them and you do help them without asking for anything in return, we call that charity. That idea of seeing a need and helping the person who is in need without expecting anything in return is linked to the second part of this blessing. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Now the first part might sound a little strange. God has a face? I thought he was a spirit, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 4. Well, in this context, this is what we call an anthropomorphism. It means that, that God is applying a human characteristic to himself. When you turn your face towards something or someone, you are giving them 
your attention. Sadly, today I think more often than not, we are guilty of giving our full attention to our cell phones and our tablets and our TVs rather than to other people. But in this case, God is giving us his full, undivided attention. Now, it can be a good thing or a bad thing if a parent hears a crash in another room and they give their full, undivided attention to that child. It's probably not a good thing. But in this case, the Lord is promising that he gives us his gracious attention. That's a good thing. Now, when you hear the word gracious or grace, you probably think of the classical catechism definition of grace, which would be God's undeserved love. But actually, the Hebrew uses a little different word here, which, which relates back to charity. It means to do a favor for someone or to be selflessly inclined to help someone. So the question is, how did God most clearly show that we have his undivided and gracious attention? Well, here's one of the places where that simplest of Sunday school answers works. Jesus, right? Jesus is the way in which God has shown us that he ha- he, we have his undivided and gracious attention. When, when Mary conceived and gave birth to the Son of God in Bethlehem, God was shining his face on this earth, giving it his full attention. As the angels sang, peace on earth and goodwill to man. As that baby boy grew up and he flawlessly carried out his father's will, as he learned and taught and healed and helped people, he was weaving together the robe of righteousness that covers us. And as that grown man climbed up on Calvary to be nailed to a tree and suffered the wrath of God over the sins of the world, he took away the sin that separated us from God. We were in need. We were in desperate need of charity. We could not do anything to save ourselves. And so Jesus came down to reveal that we have God's undivided, gracious attention. That all three persons work together to to bring about our salvation. Not expecting anything in return from us. I think normally when we think of God's blessings, when we think of asking for God's blessings and receiving those blessings, we tend to be first article people, don't we? We tend to focus on earthly and material blessings that God gives us. But an interesting thing happens when you compare the first two parts or when you put the first two parts of this blessing side by side. You realize that all of God's material blessings in the world, all of the material things that we have, they're totally useless, totally worthless apart from the spiritual blessings that Jesus came to win for us. For example, it is a wonderful blessing to have a job, a career, a steady source of income. But all the work in the world cannot earn us the righteousness that God demands from us. Only Jesus can do that. By his perfect life, he has earned the righteousness for us and gives it to us that God demands from us. It is a wonderful blessing to have a roof over your head. But that roof cannot shelter you from God's wrath on Judgment Day. Only Jesus can do that. When He drank the cup of God's wrath on the cross, 
Because He shed His blood there, His blood now shelters us from God's wrath on Judgment Day. It is a wonderful blessing, one that we should never take for granted, that we are allowed to speak freely and more importantly, to worship our God freely in this nation. But neither the Constitution nor the judiciary can free us from death's prison. Only Jesus can do that. And when he burst forth from his three-day prison on Easter Sunday morning, he has set us free. He has freed us from death's curse. We are truly free. It is wonderful to consider the first article blessings that God has given us, but they would be meaningless without the wonderful blessings that Jesus came to live and die and rise again to give us. Jesus' special blessing that he brings is that he shows us in his human flesh that we have God's undivided attention, his gracious attention for our salvation. Let's thank our Lord Jesus by confessing the words of Luther's explanation to the second article. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. All this he did that I should be his own and live under him and his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from death and lives and rules eternally. This is. You know how whenever there's a mass shooting or a natural disaster or a terror event or crime or violence or a political scandal, that people always go, oh my goodness, how could this happen? They're shocked and surprised as if things like that never happened in our world. You don't have to be a student of history, a PhD in history, to understand that that's not true at all. That, that's totally mistaken to think that bad, tragic things never happen in our world. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Peace is not the status quo. Violence, corruption, mass murders, terror events, those are the status quo. Those are the norm in this fallen world. Given how many people in our world coast through life without ever giving a thought to God or to church or to repentance or forgiveness or judgment or eternity, you would think that our status quo relationship with God is one of peace. But it's not. By nature, we do not have peace with God. By nature, we are at war with God, a war that we started, that Adam and Eve started. We are by nature hostile to God and His enemies and objects of His wrath. It does demand our attention to deal with this, to find out, to discover how we can have peace with God because we don't have it by nature. That's what makes it so remarkable when in the third part of this blessing the Lord promises the exact opposite of what we deserve. He promises to give us peace. 
Our world has a very warped sense of what peace is. Our world believes that peace is having enough money in the bank account to pay all your bills. Our world believes that peace is having a family that always gets along. Our world believes that peace is the absence of crime and war and violence. More and more these days, our world imagines that peace is having a body that looks on the outside the way I feel on the inside. The dirty little secret is that you can have all of those things and still not have peace. The true peace that the third person of the Trinity wants us to have that he gives to us is peace with God. The peace that Christ won for us on the cross. The peace that he guaranteed by his resurrection. The peace that as he ascended into heaven, he was holding out his hands, bestowing on his disciples for all time has won that peace, that ending of hostilities between sinners like us and God. But we can't go to the cross and we can't go to the empty tomb to get that gift, to pick it up. It has to be delivered to you and the Holy Spirit is that delivery man. I'll tell you what, he's busier than Amazon is delivering these gifts to us. He first delivered that gift of peace to you when you were baptized, when you were brought to this font and and washed with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Never take that for granted because as Paul says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. But the Holy Spirit's worked in and there at the baptismal font. Like I said, he's busier than Amazon distributing this gift of peace. When you hear the words of absolution, peace with God is yours, no matter how far you have gone astray in the last week. When you receive Jesus' true body and blood, you are assured that there is a place in heaven waiting for you. That peace of knowing that this fallen world is not your real home, that's real peace. Whenever you open up your Bible on your own, whenever you read a devotion, the Holy Spirit is delivering the peace of God, the peace that Christ died to win for you to you. That is true peace. That is true peace that no one can take away from you. That is the peace that the Holy Spirit delivers to your heart from the time you were baptized till the time you take your last breath. Before we close with Luther's explanation of the third article, I just want you to consider one more thing. How do we respond to this incredible blessing? A blessing that leaves us lacking nothing. Well, you know, you've heard the blessing often enough to know that we always respond with the word, Amen. It's a Hebrew word which means, yes, it shall be so. Isn't that incredible? The Lord, the triune God, promises to give us everything we need, leaving us lacking nothing. And what does He ask of us in response? Simply to believe it and receive it and grab hold of those promises and never let go. These are not just words. Remember that as you hear them before you leave God's house today, that you walk out those doors lacking nothing. So that you can live and sing and speak with the confident assurance that yes, if God says it, it shall be so. Amen.
we respond with Luther's explanation of the third article. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and fully forgives all sins to me and all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true.